Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Vanguard. Wow, it is great to see you in the house this morning. How do you and I know when God is judging us for unrepentant sin? It's interesting to me as a pastor 30 years now, I have a lot of Christians that come and they say this, Pastor, is God judging me today for something I did back in 1982? And so I just ask one question. Have you repented of what you did in 1982? Yes, back in 1982. Then the answer is, no, God's not judging you for that. God does not judge us for repentant sin. There may be lingering effects that you have to deal with in your life because of the fallen world that we live in. But the God of the universe is not judging you for repentant sin. God wants you to know that the moment that you ask him to forgive you, guess what he does? He forgives. And the Bible says that he casts it as far as the east is from the west. You know how far that is? Forever. Because eventually if you go east long enough, you're going west. Right? See, a country boy from Kentucky knows a few things about aerodynamics and things of that nature. I had a pastor friend of mine on social media on the day I wrote this message. I had a pastor friend, the evangelical church, good guy, and he put on there, Jesus does not require his followers to repent after they've initially asked him to forgive them. But there's only one problem. That's not biblical. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to take you to the New Testament. We're going to make our way back to just one chapter, Ezekiel 24 today. But I'm going to take you to the New Testament, and I'm going to show you what Jesus wants us to do to be in real relationship with him. And then we're going to come back to Ezekiel 24, which we've been uh, studying this year. And we're going to answer this question today because there are times when God does need to judge us because we're being resistant to his voice. We're being rebellious to what he has for our lives. And God loves us and wants to bring us back. So I invite you today to take your program, your Bible or your internet device and open it. And we're going to begin today uh, with the Lord's Prayer because the disciples are going to say to Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? As followers of you, can you teach us how to pray? Now, I want to pause there just a second. This past week, I got to go to the motherland, Kentucky, all right, (laughs) for our guests who don't know that. And I got the privilege of traveling to Lexington to a UK game, which was amazing. I won't get into that. But then we traveled another 23 miles after we stopped for Christian chicken at Chick-fil-A. And we joined the Asbury Revival. Amen. It was amazing. 
I, we, and, and people have said, why do you think they shut it down? I said, well, let me tell you just a quick funny story. Wilmore, Kentucky is a one stoplight town, okay? It's a one horse town or a half a horse town. And in Kentucky, we have blacktop roads that don't have center lines in the middle of them. And you say, what does that mean? That means that when you meet, you don't have time to wave because everybody's got to take the ditch to pass each other. You break each other's mirrors off. So that's the kind of little town Wilmore is, is that when you get there, there's no stripes in the middle of the road. You're coming to this place, a college that has about 1,500 students. And as you pull up, there's a sign that says, don't park on the grass. And there were a thousand cars parked on the grass and it had rained four inches. And so there's ruts as deep as your knee. Listen, at some point they had to do something to manage the craziness of it. And my understanding is that it has now sprung into over 200 university campuses where God is moving in the hearts of Gen Z. Isn't that amazing? And God is at work and he's not done. He's just getting started. Now, next week, we're going to celebrate 26 years of God's faithfulness to us. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And we've got two people that are going to follow Christ in believers' baptism. I believe one of them is in the room somewhere. I saw you this morning. Uh, you can wave at me if you want to. You don't have to. Um, one of them's in the room. I think one of them's in, in student ministry right now. 3,333 people have followed Christ in believers' baptism at our church. And over the years, people said, well, pastor, come on. You know, you want to make a big deal about that. It ain't, I mean, where are all those people? And I can say I know where one of them is. He was at Asbury giving the sermon that launched this revival. And if you've been here for a long time, you know who Zach Merkrebs is. And Zach was a young Jewish man who gave his life to Christ through our church in 2007. Amen? Before this room existed in T6, in the comfortable red chairs, if you remember that, right? And in the midst of that season, a guy by the name of Joe Shulman, soccer coach, decided that he wasn't just a soccer coach, that he was a soccer coach, that this was his ministry, and he shared the gospel with these young men, and Zach was one of them. Zach became a believer, eventually married Kristen, moved to the Lexington area, has served there for a number of years, and had the privilege of sharing this message. And I want you to understand, I said to Zach, I sent him a text uh, on uh, Saturday night. I was, Joe said, you need to text him. I was like, no, I'm going to leave him alone. He's like, you need to text him. I was like, okay, I'll text him. And I said, I don't want to bother him. I, know, I mean, there's crazy stuff. And the one night that Zach didn't come to the revival, I was actually there. Uh, I never got into the service. Journey Grace got to go and get in line in a Gen Z line. And she got in. She met this girl named Mercedes. They prayed together, worshiped for about three hours. I said, I need you to send me videos from the Holy of Holies. I need to know what's going on while I'm out here on the street freezing to death. Yes, at a certain point, I literally could not feel my legs from the waist down. And this guy comes out and he says, and I quote, I had to stand there for eight hours. I just want you to let you know. It'll probably be that long before you get in. It had been three hours. They had jumbotrons, and there were thousands of people just everywhere. This woman came out on the street, and she was crying, and she was talking on the phone, and she said, God finally spoke to me. She was weeping. 
I'm telling you, I've never experienced anything like it. I'm not trying to make this up. Uh, I'm not trying to sensationalize it. Standing there in that locale, it must have been like what the disciples felt when they were in the Mount of Transfiguration. Let's don't ever leave. Let's don't ever leave. There was a joy about it. There was a spirit of freedom about it. Listen to me. That is something that God wants to sweep across our entire nation and across our entire world. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't give out. God's going to show up. And when he shows up, he's going to show out. Amen. Come on. Amen. And I want you to understand something. God used this little church this little church that loves people into a real relationship with Jesus Christ, and we ain't going to stop. We ain't going to stop. And, and, and I, I love this, uh, and pardon my frankness for saying this, I went to the post game with the Kentucky game, and Coach Cal got up and he said, you know what? If you let people decide your future, you'll never accomplish anything with your life. And just because people count you out and you're down for the count doesn't mean that God's not going to get you back up and do the miraculous through you. And we're going to see that today. We're going to see that today through the life of Ezekiel. But I want you to understand something. It does not come without suffering. It does not come without suffering. And I want to encourage you in the midst of your suffering, we're going to see today that God has purpose for that. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to share the service, uh, to be a virtual evangelist. They do invite people to be a part of this with you. Look at Matthew chapter six, verse nine. This is the disciples talking to Jesus. I want you to pray like this. Our father in heaven, may your name be kept. Somebody say it. Holy. When you walk into Hughes Auditorium at Asbury College, Embossed across the front of the room is the words, holiness unto God. That is what the church is supposed to be. We are supposed to be a place where people understand that they can experience the holiness of God. And you know what's sad about our society and church society today? We think that when people experience the holiness of God, they have to feel bad about their sinfulness. No. No, when you experience the holiness of God, you receive the grace of God applied to the sin of your life. And the, the sin that is in your life can never exceed the grace of God's goodness to you. Amen? Amen? And so you want God's holiness. You want to be a part of a church that longs for God's holiness because it is God's holiness that administers and imparts to you his grace. Amen? Amen. Verse 10, may your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins. There it is. As followers of Jesus, Jesus is saying, I want you to pray like this. Ask me to forgive on a continual basis as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. See, the practice of repentance is ongoing. That doesn't mean that I need to keep asking God to forgive me of sin. I've already asked him to forgive me of. No, once I've done that, it's done. It's complete. It's removed as far as the east is from the west. Repentance is turning to God and saying, God, I am sorry. And I want you to understand something. We've lost this in our society as a church, as a church society. Our sin is offensive to God. 
Our sin is offensive to God and God wants us to bring it to him and he wants us to say, Lord, through your son, Jesus Christ, forgive us. And God says, I forgive you. I forgive you. But don't think for one second that your sin is not offensive to God. You say, am I offensive to God? No, but your sin is. God is a holy God and God cannot administer grace. He won't administer grace where we don't ask him to. Look at 1 John 1, 5. We're gonna get a couple of more New Testament examples. This is the message that we heard, verse five, from Jesus. And now we declare it to you. God is light. And there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but we go on living in spiritual darkness. We're lying if we say, I don't need to repent and think that we are in right fellowship with God. We're not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So what in your life is in the darkness that you need to bring into the light today so that the blood of Jesus can be applied to it? Verse 8, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves. And we're not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, to Jesus, he's faithful He's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we've not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. I want to take you back to verse 9. And just for a second, uh, I want to, as my professor told me when I was at Liberty, I'm going to teach you not to sound like a dumb country preacher. This dumb country preacher wants to sound smart for a second, okay? Okay. Because you have to go back and you have to look in the original language of the Greek text to discover what is taking place in verse 9. And in verse 9, in the Greek language, this is a third-class condition, subjective mood verb, which means this. I told you that sounds smart for a second. If we do the first part, God promises to do the second part. If you'll confess... He'll take it from there. You do not need to live your life as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a sin manager. You say, then what do I need to do? You need to live your life as a sin confessor. And if you'll let go of the sin of your life, if you'll say to God, I am sorry for my offenses against you. I'm sorry for this. Be specific. Be very specific. If you, look, look at the verse. If we confess our, what does it say? There you go, it's plural. When you come to God, you confess your sin. I'm a sinner. You confess singularly, categorically, I'm separated. Once you come to God, you are a confessor of sins. You get specific. You get intimate. You get personal. You get detailed. I was a jerk there. Forgive me, Lord. I was a jerk, Lord. Forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. Sin continually affects me and my relationships. I don't know about you. Now look at this third one, because it's not only a confession to God. I love this, that this is in the Bible. James 5, 16. 
Confess your sins to who? Somebody say it. Oh, each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. See, God wants us to talk to him and say, God, forgive us. And God wants us to say to each other, would you please forgive me for sinning against you? Now, I want to take a poll. Anybody in the room want to be in relationship with someone who's never willing to say they're sorry for their offenses towards you? I'm looking. Anybody online? Just put it in the chat. Anyone? See, neither does God. Neither does God. God wants you to understand that real relationship is a willingness to own your part in the relationship and a willingness to confess. Not so you can beat up, be beat up about it or shamed for it. No, so that you can be free from it. So how do we recognize? Because there are going to be times in our lives, and I've experienced this in my life. There are times in my life where God has had to say to me, Kelly, you're not listening to me. You are not listening to me. And Israel was not only not listening to God, but they had decided they were going to refuse to listen. And so because of that, God literally and figuratively has to turn the heat up on them. So let's begin in Ezekiel 24. We're just looking at this one chapter today. On January 15th, during the ninth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity, This message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, I want you to write down today's date. Because on this very day, the king of Babylon is beginning his attack against Jerusalem. I want you to write down this exact date today. When I was 17 years old, which was 34 years ago, by the way, I was angry at God. I even said out loud to the Lord, Lord, I've given you my best and you haven't given me yours. See, I grew up in the state of Kentucky and I took Journey Grace back there to Barron County High School. That's where I went to school, the Trojans. And my gymnasium would seat, still to this day, 5,000 people. And we would fill that for a high school basketball game. So where I grew up, it was more of a compliment to go, I'm going to play high school ball, and then I'm going to go play for the University of Kentucky. That's a greater compliment than playing in the NBA. And I want you to understand that if you've never been to Kentucky, if you've never been to Indiana, like you have no idea what basketball means to people there. And I know there's other places where that's true as well. There you go. We got it in there. I was hoping someone would do it for me. And so I said to the Lord, Lord, you haven't done what I've wanted you to do. So I'm not going to do what you've asked me to do. And so I decided in my mind, I'm going to lose my virginity. Why not? And right when I made that decision, 
And I was going to implement a plan to do that. I'm a planner, just so you know. I'm intentional in every way, good and bad. My mom came to me, and I'll never forget this, in the living room of our house, and I was just there this past week. My dad is, has lived there since I was in eighth grade. My mom came to me when I was a senior in high school, 17 years old, and she took me by the hand. She had the ugly cry face, and she looked up at me, five foot four, and she was like, I'm praying for you. She had no idea, uh, unless God told her, which I'm sure he did, uh, which always messes up everything, right? And right in that moment, it crushed me internally. But I kept this strong exterior. And I felt like the Lord said to me, Kelly, if you choose to do this, there are specific ways that I've planned to use your life. I'm not going to be able to use them. Now, I don't know how you feel about that, but that's what I heard the Lord say to me. Uh, And so thankfully, because of my mom's comment to me, I wish I could say that it was because I loved God so much, but it wasn't. The reason why I decided not to is because I love my mama so much. Okay, I'm like Drake, okay? God's plan, all right. Every one of us, it's important that you mark the moment when God speaks to you, and sometimes he does it through other people. He doesn't drop an angel out of the sky or a basket or whatever. Sometimes he just uses other human beings that you're in relationship with. But I want to encourage you, this is one of those moments. This moment is being marked in time. And God is talking to you. And whatever it is he's talking to you about, it's far more important than anything that's going to come out of my mouth today. God is speaking to you. Are you listening to him? Are you taking in his comments to you? So how do we know when God is judging us for unrepentant sin? Number one, looking back, we recall the moment it began. See, what's lovely about God is that God will talk to you about your sin. And if you won't listen to him, God has so much humility and grace and patience with us that he'll send other human beings to talk to us. He's not up in heaven going, I'm God Almighty, if they won't listen to me. No, he doesn't do that. He allows for so much time for people to make choices about their lives. Look at verse 3. Then give these rebels an illustration. With this message from the sovereign Lord, I want you to put a pot on the fire. I want you to pour in some water, fill it with some choice pieces of meat. The rump and the shoulder... And all the moist, tender cuts. What do we call that today? Filet mignon. I just lost you, right? You're ready to eat. Use only the best sheep from the flock. Heap fuel on the fire beneath the pot. Bring the pot to a boil. Cook the bones along with the meat. Why? Because there's marrow in the bones and the meat tastes better. Now, this is what the sovereign Lord says. What sorrow awaits Jerusalem? The city of murderers. She's cooking. She has a cooking pot whose corruption can't be cleaned out. Take the meat out in random order. No piece is better than the other. For the blood of her murderers is splashed on the rocks. It isn't even spilled on the ground where the dust could cover it. Now catch verse 8. So I, God, will splash her blood on a rock for all to see. 
an expression of my anger, and vengeance against her. So how does God judge us? How do we recognize it when he's judging us for unrepentant sin? Number two, he exposes it publicly for others to see. He exposes it publicly for others to see. If you see someone whose sin is being exposed publicly, rest assured, God's talked to him about it and he sent scores of people to talk to him privately and they won't listen. They won't listen. And there have been times in my life where God has said to me, Kelly, you're not listening to me. And if you do not listen to me, I am going to bring others into this equation to get your attention. I'm going to bring others in and I'm going to continue to bring others in until you pay attention to what I'm saying to you. Look at verse 9. This is what the sovereign Lord says. What sorrow awaits Jerusalem, the city of murderers. I myself am going to pile up the fuel beneath her. Yes, heap on the wood, let the fire roar to make the pot boil, cook the meat with many spices, and afterward burn the bones. I'm going to set the empty pot on the coals, heat it red hot, burn away the filth and the corruption. But it's hopeless. The corruption can't be cleaned out. So throw it into the fire. Your impurity is your lewdness and the corruption of your idolatry. I tried to cleanse you, God says. But you refused. You wouldn't let me. So now you will remain in your filth until my fury against you has been satisfied. Wow. That's sobering. That's sobering. There's something that I want you to know about God. You may already know this, but I want to remind you of this. The Bible says that Jesus stands at our door and knocks. The door of our heart. God is a gentleman. You have to choose to welcome him in. You have to choose. The almighty God of the universe gave you a will. And you have to decide. You have to decide. He can't decide for you. So now you will remain in your filth until my fury against you has been satisfied. Look at verse 14. I, the Lord, have spoken. The time has come. And I won't hold back. I will not change my mind and I will have no pity on you. You will be judged on the basis of all your wicked actions, says the sovereign Lord. See, because if you're not willing to confess, then you have to own his wrath. Number three, we feel him remove his hand of compassion. We feel him remove his hand of compassion. It's our choice. We decide with our actions whether we want his compassion in our lives. And I want you to understand that some of us kind of view sin this way. We go, well, you know, I've confessed this before. I'm afraid I'll have to confess it again, so I just won't confess it this time. Bad idea. God's not up in heaven saying, hey, you only get so many chances. Nowhere in the Bible. The Bible says every time you confess, God will what? Forgive. That's who God is. That's who he's been, that's who he is, and that's who he'll always be. And at the moment that you say, God, forgive me, he says, I have. I have. I have. Now, we're going to transition to verse 15 
And the subtitle here is The Death of Ezekiel's Wife. And I want to give some context because this is, uh, this is unique. What we're going to see here is that Ezekiel is going to be asked by God to suffer unjustly so that the unjust watch him suffer and have opportunity to experience righteousness because of his suffering. Now, can you think of anybody else in the Bible that God asked this of? If the pastor asks a question in church, the answer is usually, thank you. Now, we see it with the life of Job. But here's what I want you to understand. Ezekiel represents a prototype of Jesus. Ezekiel was called by God, son of man. Jesus decides to pick the title son of man to refer to himself. And so I want you to see the powerful parallelism of Ezekiel's life and his unjust suffering compared to Jesus' life and his unjust suffering and how both of them endured the wrath of God so that other people could experience the grace of God. And when we get done with this part of the message, I'm praying that it revolutionizes your view that not all the suffering of your life is due to your sin. Sometimes you're asked to suffer so that other people can look at your suffering and experience the righteousness of God through your life because you don't curse the God who allowed the suffering. Amen? And this is what's powerful about Jesus. Jesus, the cross, he takes upon himself the wrath of the Father so that we might receive the compassion and mercy of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So look at this passage. We'll see it unfold. Then this message came to me from the Lord. This is Ezekiel talking. Son of man, with one blow, I will take away your dearest treasure. Now, you don't want to hear that in your morning devotions. Yet here's what I need you to do, Ezekiel. You must not show any sorrow at her death. What? I mean, it's bad enough to suffer in life. But what, what about when you suffer in life and God asks you to suffer silently? Wow. I mean, that is incredible grief. Do not weep. Let there be no tears. Oh my goodness. This is an incredible request of God Almighty to Ezekiel. Groan silently, but let there be no wailing at her grave. I just went back last Sunday and knelt by my mama's grave. Oh my goodness. It took years before I could go there without tears. Years. And God is saying to Ezekiel before this happens, I don't want you to cry. I don't want you to kneel by her grave and cry. I mean, this seems borderline cruel. But I think the cross wasn't borderline cruel. It was cruel. 
Do not uncover your head or take off your sandals. Do not perform the usual rituals of mourning or accept any food brought to you by consoling friends. So make a bad situation worse. Okay. So I proclaim this to the people. Did you catch that? I did what God told me to do. I suffered unjustly for God. Wow. This is faith. This is what faith looks like. So I proclaimed this to the people the next morning and in the evening. My wife died. I mean, this is real stuff. The next morning, I did everything I'd been told to do. Oh, my goodness. Then the people ask, what does all this mean? Ha. Whoa. Here we go. There's people watching your life. When great things happen to you, people go, yeah, that's great for you. Right? But when suffering happens, they go, why do you think God's doing that to you? What's the meaning of that? I mean, you're a good person. You're the best person I know. Why, why would God's just a horrible God? I mean, your God's a horrible God. I mean, look what he's... Yeah. See, this is the way it works, like it or not. When God asks you to suffer... People notice. People notice. Specific people that God wants to notice, notice. So I said to them, a message came to me from the Lord. Wow. Instead of, yeah, why do I deserve this? Why has God got to treat me this way? I mean, what have I done to... No, no, listen to me. Not all suffering is because of unrepentant sin. Some suffering is so unrepentant sinners can watch you suffer well and ask you why. And then, through your unjust suffering, the unjust experience the grace of God. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the cross. Verse 20, so I said to them, a message came to me, verse 21, and I was told to give this message to the people of Israel. This is what the sovereign Lord says, I will defile my temple. The source of your security and pride, the place your heart delights in, your sons and your daughters whom you left behind in Judah will be slaughtered by the sword. And you'll do as Ezekiel has done. You'll not mourn in public or console yourselves by eating the food brought by friends. Your heads will remain covered and your sandals will not be taken off. You'll not mourn or weep, but you will waste away because of your sins. You will groan among yourselves for all the evil you've done. And then verse 24 makes it really clear. Ezekiel is an example for you. I want to stop there. Vanguard will be 26 next Sunday. We've been in 
this building, not this room, but this building for 23 of those 26 years. And I cannot tell you how many times I have said to the Lord, Lord, why does my life have to be the sermon illustration? I don't mean that positively. Why, Lord? Why, Lord? Ezekiel is an example for you. You will do just as he has done, and when that time comes, you will know. You will know that I am the sovereign Lord. See, what you're going through now is preparing unjust people for what they're getting ready to go through so that when they go through it, they'll find you because you'll be their example to follow. And the unjust suffering of your life will lead to the grace of their lives. That's what Jesus' life did. Jesus' unjust suffering of the cross led everyone to experience the grace that the Father has. Do you understand that the wrath of God, if I can use that terminology, was poured out on Ezekiel's life so that people would watch just as the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus' life on the cross as people watched? Same. Powerful. Powerful. So how do we know? How do we recognize when he's judging us for, un, for unconfessed sin. Number four, he sends examples of it. We can physically see. He sends examples of just people that suffer unjustly, and then we get to look at that and go, hmm. And God says, that's what's coming for your unrepentance. Now, how unfair is that? But see, God is inviting you to be like Jesus in your repented sins. And he's inviting you to say, I'm willing to suffer like Christ did, even though he never sinned. He became sin so that we who were not the righteousness of God could experience the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. The Lord said to me, son of man, on the day that I take away their stronghold, their joy and glory, their heart's desire, their dearest treasure, I will also take away their sons and daughters. And on that day, a survivor from Jerusalem will come to you in Babylon and tell you uh, what has happened. When he arrives, your voice will suddenly return to you so that you can talk to him and you'll be a symbol for these people. Then they will know that I am the Lord. So how do we know when God is judging unrepentant sin? Number five, we get to know him through his wrath. And we get to choose this. We can choose his compassion or we can choose his wrath, but we're going to get to know God. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. His mercy exceeds our sin. If we say, no, I refuse, I'm going to live my life. I don't appreciate what you did in that situation. We all have a choice. Do you remember when the soldier stood at the foot of the cross of Jesus and God poured out his wrath on Jesus and he died on the cross 
And his last words, I commit my spirit into your hands. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And the soldiers looked up at Jesus. And what did they say? Truly, he is the son of God. See, what's interesting is when the wrath of God gets poured out on a righteous vessel, unrighteous vessels see God through you and see your identity in him. Now, do you remember Peter, the apostle Peter? Jesus said to him, hey, you're going to deny me three times. Peter's like, what? I'm a super Christian. I got the Holy Ghost swagger going on, right? I mean, all these other guys, they're duds. They're fakes. Not me. I'm here to the end. Yeah, blood brothers, let's cut our fingers. and run. Yeah, we're in it. We're in it to win it. Just like, no, matter of fact, before the rooster crows, farm animal, you're going to deny me three times. Never, Lord. Never. And then he did. And there was this little girl. She came up to Peter and said, aren't you one of the disciples of Jesus? And Peter said, no. No, I'm not one of those. And she said, yes, you are. What'd she say to him? Your accent. I can tell you're from the South. I can tell you're a dumb country preacher. I can tell you're that guy. Isn't it interesting how we never can get away from our story? It's a part of God's plan for our lives. And Peter's like, no, I don't know him. I don't know him. You got me confused with some other dumb country preacher. It ain't me. And then the Bible says that the rooster crows and Peter goes out and he weeps. How? Somebody say it. Bitterly. He repented. Then we've got Judas. And Judas was the treasurer for Jesus and the disciples. He was the church treasurer. And he decided to betray Jesus. And so for 30 pieces of silver, he handed Jesus over to the Pharisees and to the Roman government. And then after that, what did he do? Did he repent? No. You know what he did? He regretted. Regretting and repentance are not the same thing, and they lead to two very different directions in your life. Repentance leads to life. Regret leads to death. And so Judas, regretting what he did to Jesus, went out and killed himself. There are so many people right now killing themselves because they regret what they did during the pandemic. Stop regretting it and just repent. Just say to God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And God will say to you, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. The choice is ours. 
The choice is ours. We can live with a repentant soul or we can live with a regretful soul. It's our choice. Choose repentance and live. Truly live. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. It's a good word. It's remarkable to see the intimacy of the parallelism between Ezekiel and Jesus and the parallelism between the suffering of Ezekiel and the suffering of Jesus, the parallelism between the wrath poured out on Ezekiel and the wrath poured out on Jesus on the cross. And you tell us in your word that it is by Jesus' stripes that we are healed. Lord, you've been faithful to us. And God, we're going to celebrate that next week. 26 years of your faithfulness to us. But we want to pause and just tell you, we're yours. We're yours. And as I said to Zach, Zach, you are the vanguard of this Asbury revival. Don't shrink back. Lean in. Lean in. Lean in. Don't let the enemy cause you to shrink back. Don't let the enemy talk you out of being who God created you to be. Lean in. And God, however you want to use us, the answer is yes. 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 Our answer to you is yes. And when we deny you, when we do what you tell us we're going to do, and we weep bitterly, forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Cleanse us of all the unrighteousness of our lives, God. Every day your word says that your mercies are new and great is your faithfulness. We claim that. We claim that. In Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Just one quick thing. Next Sunday is another Sunday. But it's significant in the story of us as a community of faith. And we're going to come together in one service. So if you show up at 11, you'll be an hour late. Just remember that. Let everybody know. We're going to have one service. And we'll put more chairs in here uh, for the 9 o'clock to join us and for the 11 to come together at 10. And we're going to see two people make public profession of their faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you. The greatest sermon is the testimonies of people that get baptized. I will never give a better sermon than what you're going to hear next week when people are baptized and they give testimony of how God's changed their life. And I want to encourage you, take a risk and invite somebody. We'll have lunch and you can stay for the cookout. We want to encourage you to come, enjoy, celebrate cupcakes and birthday cake and memories and all the faithfulness. This is going to be a significant day in the life of our church. And I just want to encourage you to invite somebody to come with you and to be a part of this as we celebrate God's faithfulness 
to our family, our church family. In Jesus' name, God bless you. We love you. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central Podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.